Jelly of the Airy, Joey of the Airy, cried when the expos left Park Jerry. If Tia sends the pie, he's the cherry. Joey of the Airy, likes Toronto pizza better than in Montreal. Loves the Alouettes, loves Canadian football. Joey of the Airy, Joey of the Airy, if Tia sends 690, he's a good fairy. At the station, he's the big man like Refrigerator Perry. Joey Alfieri Produces Mel Nick's show and does Sports Saturday too Was king of his high school prom That's true! Play-by-play -play voice of the club de foot Trois de vin Always forward understood Joey Alfieri Joey Alfieri Cried in the expos Left part Jerry If TSN's the pie He's the cherry Joey Alfieri Joey Boom! What a way to start your Saturday morning. I'm Joey Alfieri, Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Uh, we've got a lot to get to. I'm with Jimmy G till noon. Jimmy G's tagging out at noon. Matthew O'Hayan will be coming in uh, at 12, but we do have a lot to get to between now and 1 o'clock. We will be talking plenty of Montreal Canadiens. The Canadians have made a change, a significant change to their lineup and their lines. We'll get to that uh, in just a couple of minutes. Uh, I do also want to talk a little bit about CF Montreal. CF Montreal heading to Florida on Tuesday. So they're going to be around Montreal a couple of days uh, for a little bit longer, extending their camp, but then camp moves. Uh, and they've got a couple of uh, preseason games, some friendly matches coming up uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks. CF Montreal starts on the 17th of April when they host TFC in Miami. So the season's coming up real quick. Uh, we will be talking to Jason DiTulio. He is uh, my former co-host on Impact this week on TSN 690. He's now the assistant coach of CF Montreal, uh, and he's actually just coming back from a stint with Canada's U23 team. They failed to qualify for the Olympics, but they still had uh, some very positive moments there. Uh, we will be getting into the Crosby versus Ovechkin debate that Brandon Dubinsky reignited. Uh, I'm not sure uh, how or why this happened, but uh, here we go. We'll be talking about that. Uh, and as I mentioned, we'll be talking uh, big picture Montreal Canadiens with Jason Paul. He's our analytics guru uh, from Wave Intel. We'll also be chatting with a Hall of Famer. Canadian Football Hall of Famer uh, Herb Zerkowski will join us uh, to talk CFL. Is the season going to start on time? Are they going to merge with the XFL? Uh, so we'll get we'll pick Herb's brain, and that's exactly where I want to start. There continues to be chatter about the CFL and the XFL merging down the road. I've talked to you about what I know, and I've told you that this has been in the works for the better part of the last year. Nothing is confirmed. I think there's going to be a partnership down the line if the XFL can get off the ground. But before that can happen... The CFL needs to find a way to get back to work without the XFL. CFL needs to play this year. You can't miss another season. You can't go two years in a row without playing. Are they going to start on time? I don't think so, but there's no way they cannot play in 2021 if they want any hope of resurrecting this league and increasing their revenue down the road. Do I think the season's going to start on time? I don't think the season's going to start on time. Uh, training camp is supposed to open late May. And then the regular season is supposed to start in late June. I don't think that's going to happen for obvious reasons. Uh, there was maybe there was a little bit of hope when the premier said that he wanted to get everybody vaccinated by the 24th of June by uh, Saint Jean Baptiste. But now with this these variants coming out, I just I don't know. There seems to be we seem to be in the middle of a third wave here, and I don't know that we're going to get things settled. 
uh, with COVID-19 before training camp is scheduled to start. So it, it's tough for people to understand, and it's tough for me to understand just because we don't really know much about CFL economics. Like I, I've followed the league for most of my life, and I still don't know or I didn't know uh, what it took to run a franchise, run a team. Like we know that the salary cap is $5.35 million. That's what it is now. And the salary cap floor is $4.75 million. But we didn't know in terms of operating costs. Like uh, for the most part, coaches' salaries are not disclosed. Head coach, positional coaches, coordinators. Like we don't know what these guys make. Even in terms of players, like sometimes numbers will leak out. But we don't really know from player to player what each guy's making. Um, what does it cost? You know, what does an equipment manager cost? I mean, it's not things, those aren't all things that we need to know. But I think when we, for the most part, as media or as fans, when we try to understand the financial duress that the league is under, it's very difficult for us to do because we don't really know. I remember, uh, you know, when Robert Wettenhall and his family owned the Alouettes, the only thing that we would ever know about the financial situation was that if the Alouettes played a home playoff game at Olympic Stadium and got over X amount, I don't remember, it was 30, 35, 40,000, whatever it was. I mean, they were getting upwards of 50 and 60 sometimes. But unless they had that game, they wouldn't break even. And look, Montreal is a different market than Saskatchewan or Winnipeg or Hamilton or whatever. But, uh, you know, I do think that in the end, there is money to be made, but we just we don't know what type of money there is to be made. We don't know what it's costing to operate a, a franchise from top to bottom. And in the NHL, I feel like you have a little bit better, you know, more of an idea of, of what it costs to, to run a franchise and run a team, even though, I mean, we don't know to the cent, but you do have a better idea. Uh, you know, Claude Julien was making, we, we knew, sign a deal, making $5 million a year. Mark Bergerman, we know it's a long-term deal. We don't necessarily know how much he makes. But I feel like when it comes to hockey finances, uh, there's more information available. And, and listen, I get it. it the, the leagues uh, and the league and the leagues, uh, the, the major leagues around, you know, around North America are covered at a different level than the CFL is. But you always just got the sense that the league never really wanted you to know, you know, what was happening behind the scenes or in their books like you just you never know there you don't really know much about what's going down financially until and I thought this was fascinating Tony Marinaro did a great job uh, yesterday afternoon on the Montreal Forum he had former CFL commissioner and former Montreal Alouettes president Larry Smith on his program uh, yesterday morning and listen Larry hasn't been around the Alouettes and the CFL for a while now but he has a ton of experience. He's a Canadian Football League lifer. Played, was, had prominent positions in the front office and had the most prominent position in the league. Um, you know, outside of being an owner, being the commissioner, you're essentially representing the owners. So he knows what's going on behind the scenes. And I feel like for the first time in my lifetime, there was somebody who was able to provide some clarity on the financial situations in the CFL and with the Alouettes in particular. So I want you to listen to this. This is Larry Smith with Tony Marinaro yesterday on CFL economics and the economics behind the Montreal Alouettes. And maybe you'll understand, and I certainly understood a little bit better, why the owners are hesitant to come back if there's no fans in the building. This is how reliant they are on gate revenue. Listen to what Larry Smith had to say. 
I think each owner, and I haven't seen the books, but I do understand the cost and how each franchise works and the range, even though I haven't been associated with it, with it from some, for some time. If you take inflation and you say that your average CFL team in good circumstances operates at somewhere between 20 to $25 million per club, it mm-hmm. gives you an idea of the scale of nine times 20 million. Okay. And so, uh, the, the, the issue here is if, uh, your gate constitutes, say you get, uh, we at our best, uh, when we had our successes in the, from 2000 to 2010 at Molson Stadium, when we sold out, uh, I think a hundred consecutive games, we were doing about uh, 11, 12 million at the gate which was a pretty impressive number for a small facility. And um, if you look at the total revenues, uh, your gate was constituting, uh, you know, over 50%, about 50% of your total revenues. Yeah, that's more than I thought. That that's that number, 50% is higher than I thought. And as somebody, I tweeted all this information out yesterday because I thought it was really interesting. But as somebody pointed out to me on Twitter, I, I don't know if that accounts for just the ticket revenue, if that's what Larry Smith's talking about, because there are other revenues, you know, that are associated with being at, like having fans in the building, uh, you know, concessions and buying merch and all that stuff. I mean, you take a hit in that regard as well if there are no fans in the building because you're not selling anything to anybody, right? So I can certainly understand why owners don't necessarily want to play if there are no fans and that's why i think there is no chance no chance zero that this thing starts on time i don't think players are coming here next month with the idea that they're going to start camp at the end of may and games in june no way i think at the earliest you'll get camp in august and potentially a season starting in september and you'd play half the amount of games and you'd have a shortened season i think that's best case scenario but I think the key, you know, that's contingent on fans being allowed in their buildings. I think there are owners that would rather not play again for a second year in a row than play in front of nobody. The TV contract with TSN, it is a good one because I think each team clears about $5 million, right? So from that respect, if your total operating costs are 20 to $25 million, like Larry Smith mentioned there, then $5 million, that covers most of your player salaries. So from that respect, you're good. But then, you know, the Alouettes have a, have a lease at Molson Stadium that is expensive. Uh, you've got to pay the coaching staff, got to pay the general manager, the president. I mean, there's employees on top of employees to play. To, to pay right so if, if it i'll take larry smith at his work because he knows more than i do so he's talking about you know some a little inflation there from when he was around the alouette so 20 to 25 million to operate the whole thing the tv deal gives you about five million dollars per club so that's still you know you're looking at 15 to 20 million dollars out of pocket if there's no fans in the building and so I, i'm not here to spend the owner's money because that's not fair and i know what i'd like them to do I'd like them to bite the bullet and make sure that you're not out of sight and out of mind for a second year in a row, but that's not my call and it's not my money to spend. So I personally think that if you're ever going to get this thing off the ground again, I think you have to play this year. I really do. 
but do the owners see it the same way? And here's where the XFL twist makes things a little bit more interesting. If you want to merge with the XFL and you want to maximize your revenue at some point, or you want to just increase it, you need you need to have some type of league for the XFL to merge with. And that goes both ways, by the way, because the XFL still has to get itself off the ground. At least, you know, the, the, the CFL has the players, coaching staffs, infrastructure. You know, they, they have things that the XFL just doesn't have right now. Because you look at, you know, the rosters in the XFL, they've all been purged by either NFL or CFL teams. The Alouettes have brought in a number of XFL players. Eli Rogers, former Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver, the Alouettes did a feature on him this week on their website, and we're hoping to talk to him on the program. We're supposed to a couple weeks ago, uh, but we're going to give it a shot next week. But he's a fascinating character. He has an opportunity to make the Alouettes. He was one of the better receivers in the XFL last year. He's not under contract to anybody in the XFL, obviously, because they're not going to be playing before 2022 or 2023. So for this merger to work, I don't know that both leagues can be starting from scratch. Right now, you have a loyal fan base, even if it's not as big as you'd want Canada-wide. If you don't play for a couple of years, I don't know that everybody's sticking around. And when I say everybody, I don't just mean fans. I mean your sponsors too. Because money's tight for everybody right now. Everybody's taking a hit for the most part. So if they're not spending their money on you, they're going to spend their money somewhere else. Leagues that are playing. Or ways to advertise that can pay off for them in the here and now. There's no guarantee you're going to be able to bring all these people, fans and sponsors back. And the media too. I think there's a you know a big portion of the media. I mean, at TSN, I feel like from top to bottom, we do cover the teams in the markets you know reasonably well. And TSN does a great job, obviously, promoting uh, during the summer and fall months when they have games. But you know, I, I don't know that there's a guarantee that everybody's going to be back here covering this league if it's been off for a couple of years. So. Look, I, I think it's fascinating to see where we go from here. Uh, does the league end up playing? Does it not play? Uh, I've told you everything I know, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. This XFL stuff, I know there's people that have come at me saying, well, it's all, you know, it's just talk right now. Yeah, it's just talk right now. But trust me, they've been in intense conversations here for the better part of a year. And if you don't think that this thing is real, these owners want to maximize their profits. Even before COVID happened, they were looking at ways to maximize their profits. So now you can just imagine what the hit they've taken over the last year that they want to increase their revenue stream tenfold. And if they feel the XFL can help them do that and The Rock can help them do that, that's what they're going to do. But there needs to be games this year. You cannot be out of sight, out of mind again. That's just my opinion. And I realize, again, I'm not the don't text me saying it's not my money to spend because that happens every time. But I realize that it's not my money to burn. But I think that if you want to recover long term, I think you might have to take the hit short term to end up having that long term game. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong. But I feel like if you're out of sight, out of mind again, you're going to have to not just come back and start a new league with the XFL, I think you're going to have to grow a lot of your fan base back up from, not maybe not scratch, 
but somewhere close to scratch. It's Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Joey Alfieri with you till 1 o'clock. The Montreal Canadiens were on the ice a little earlier this morning, and if you haven't heard, there's a pretty significant change to their lineup heading into tonight's game against Ottawa. I'll tell you what that is coming up next. Welcome back to Saturday Sports on TSN 690. I'm Joey Alfieri with you till 1 o'clock. Yes, we are your home for CF Montreal soccer. Uh, we will be talking to CF Montreal assistant coach Jason DiTullio. Uh, the club is leaving for Florida on Tuesday. Jason is already there because he was in Guadalajara with uh, with the uh, Canadian men's national team or the U23 team trying to qualify for the Olympics. So he made the move straight from Mexico to uh, Florida. So Jason is there with a couple of the players uh, that were off on international duty. So I believe guys like uh, James Pantemis, Zachary Brogiard, Sam Piet, Zorhan Basson, Georgi Mihailovic, the new acquisition during the offseason from Chicago. He was playing for the Americans, uh, so he's there too. Uh, so they're all training. They're actually on the pitch right now with Jason. Uh, they're doing a training session without the majority of the team there, obviously. Uh, but Jason will be kind enough to join us just after 1235. We'll also be talking uh, CFL and XFL. And is the CFL going to start with the Hall of Fame reporter? Herb Zerkowski will join us uh, just after 1205. Uh, and uh, yes, the reaction on the text message board, uh, where <laughs> there's people fired up about this uh, CFL, XFL debate. Uh, I find it fascinating to see how it's going to play out. I told you guys just you know moments ago, and I've told you all along here throughout the process, everything that I know that's going on behind the scenes, uh, but I still laugh sometimes when I see uh, the text messages. Some of them that come in are funny because uh, it's, again, like people don't really know uh, much about you know what's going on behind the scenes in the Canadian Football League. So uh, somebody uh, in Montreal texted in, Carey Price's salary is double the Al salary cap. Wow. Capital W period, capital O period, capital W period. Yes, that is actually correct. And I think that's just his cap hit of $10 million because I think Carey Price has been making more than $10 million on the first few years of this deal. So it's even more than that. Uh, so that's right. So CFL players put their body on the line and they're not making a whole lot of money, most of them. Uh, somebody else from Kingston chimes in says, do we really need the CFL? Who misses it, honestly? Well, I do. I think there are a lot of people in Canada that do. I realize that it's not everybody's cup of tea, and that's fine. If it's not uh, if it's not for you, that's that's okay. I'm Personally, I'm a fan of college football. I'm a fan of the NFL, and I'm a fan of the CFL. I just I love the sport. I love football, So, and, and I... Look, as somebody who loves them all, I keep saying this. I think the CFL brand and rules are the most exciting uh, of any football league that I watch. I think those games, for the most part, are more exciting than NFL games. That's just my opinion. And again, that's from somebody who loves both. Um, and then somebody else is asking, when is CF Montreal's first game? That's April the 17th uh, against Toronto FC. And that's a home game for Montreal, but it's going to be at Inter-Miami Stadium. Uh, it's Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Joey Alfieri with you till 1 o'clock. We'll be talking to uh, our analytics guru, Jason Paul, from Wave Intel in just a couple of moments, breaking down the Montreal Canadiens. But I did mention uh, that the Habs had a morning skate today before their game against Ottawa, and they've made a couple of lineup changes here. Some very good news on the Tyler Toffoli front as he participated in the morning skate. So it looks like the Canadians are going to get their best goal scorer back. And he was playing on the right side of Jesperi Kotkaniemi and Jonathan Drouin. So Drouin and Suzuki, no longer a thing uh, if we're going off the morning skate. And so that means that there's a hole on Suzuki's left wing that will be filled by 
Corey Perry. Corey Perry's getting the bump up, it looks like, and he's played really well, and this is something that Corey Perry deserves. Look, I don't know, especially now that the schedule's going to be condensed, it's, it's going to be tight. There's going to play a lot of games in very few days. I don't know that he's going to be able to do this night in and night out and play these minutes at 5-on-5, five five, plus play front of the net on the power play, uh, but I think short-term, I like it. He's been playing really well, so if you give him this opportunity with uh, Nick Suzuki and Josh Anderson, I'm very curious to see how it works out. So you have Nick Suzuki between two guys who can throw their weight around, two guys who can put the puck in the net. So uh, just to recap here, the changes at the morning skate. The note to Tark Gallagher obviously stays together. They've been the Canadians' best line uh, in the last couple of weeks, in the last couple of games, I guess. Uh, Corey Perry's now with Nick Suzuki and Josh Anderson. Jonathan Drouin with Kotkaniemi and Toffoli. And the fourth line is made up of Paul Byron. Jake Evans down the middle, and Arturi Lekkonen. So that means that Michael Frolik is out, and the defense pairings uh, look the same. So Joel Edmondson and Shea Weber, Brett Kulak and Jeff Petrie, and uh, Romanov and Mete are together, and uh, Carey Price will uh, likely be between the pipes, I'd imagine, uh, after Jake Allen was starting, uh, ended up getting the start in the last game. It's Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Joey Alfieri, I do want to just get to our question of the day it's a poll question uh, it has nothing to do with the cfl or the montreal canadians which is pretty rare around these parts uh but it's uh, i'm not sure uh, who caught brandon dubinsky's comments i hadn't thought about brandon dubinsky in a while I was forced to uh, step away from the game was pretty productive player always appreciated uh his style and how hard he played uh but he went on a podcast this week and talked about how uh this is a quote quote everybody wants to talk sid and ov or whatever i'll take ov every day of the week I uh, thought those comments were interesting. Of course, you do have to keep in mind that Crosby and Dubinsky did feud on the ice quite a bit. Uh, so I certainly understand uh, why he's not a fan of Cindy Crosby. Uh, but uh, so our question of the day is, if you could have one of the two players on your favorite team for their entire career, who would it be? And no, Brandon Dubinsky is not one of the options. It's Alex Ovechkin or Sidney Crosby. We'll get into the debate a little bit later on, but you can vote on Twitter at Joey Alfieri or at TSN690. You can also text us at 11690. Which one of those two players would you want on your favorite team? You're not just getting who they are now. You're getting their entire careers. Uh, which one would you want? Alex Ovechkin, Sidney Crosby. As of right now, it's very one-sided, and I thought it would be the case. Uh, but Crosby, 76.5%. Alex Ovechkin, 23.5%. I'll tell you who I'd take a little bit later on in the show, uh, but very curious to see uh, what this audience feels and uh, why you would take one over the other. It is Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Joey Alfieri with you till 1 o'clock. And we do talk Habs next with our analytics guru, Jason Paul from Wave Intel. How does he feel about the lineup changes the Canadians are making tonight? Jonathan Drouet and Kotkaniemi, will they have chemistry? Do their styles mesh? And what can Corey Perry accomplish on that line with Nick Suzuki and Josh Anderson? We'll ask him next on TSN 690. Welcome back. It's Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Joey Alfieri with you till 1 o'clock. I do want to just get to a couple of comments from our uh, Twitter question of the day that we threw out there based on Brandon Dubinsky's comments uh, regarding Crosby and Ovechkin. The exact quote is, uh, everybody wants to talk Sid and Ovi or whatever. I'll take Ovi every day of the week. Do you agree with Dubinsky? Do you not? Uh, would you take Ovechkin over Crosby? Uh, the poll results are pretty interesting so far. It's going kind of the way I thought it would. Sidney Crosby leading the way 76.9% to Ovechkin's 23.1%, uh, but got a couple of interesting replies on the text message board uh, and on uh, and on Twitter. 
that I wanted to get to. Uh, Steve B says, best pure goal scorer ever, some say. Physical and never injured. Crosby, to me, is media overhype for a Canadian boy. They even gifted him two con smites he didn't deserve. Uh, I Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I don't know if it was two con smites he didn't deserve. Uh, but there was one, I th- was it the first one? I think it was the first of the back-to-back uh, that I thought, eh, not so sure uh, that I would have voted for Sidney Crosby. Uh, also coming in at 11.690, we have uh, somebody else saying Ovechkin from the jump. So it's interesting that uh, the majority, the, the, the silent voters <laughs> are going Crosby, whereas uh, there's a bit more of uh, you know the outspoken people, which I, I appreciate hearing from. You can text us at 11690, or you can tweet me at Joey Alfieri with your, thro- with your thoughts, Crosby or Ovechkin. Uh, you can text us again. And uh, those people are the people that are participating and, and giving some feedback uh, are the ones uh, that are voting for Ovechkin, but it seems like the quiet majority uh, are on Sidney Crosby. All right, uh, we announced that the uh, Montreal Canadiens, we saw from their morning skate, there's going to be some changes to the lineup. And to talk about those changes and a lot more, uh, we bring in our analytics guru, Jason Paul from Wave Intel. Jay, what's going on, man? How are you? Good, Joey. I'm in a van down by the river. Every time we talk to you, you're somewhere exotic. Like last time you uh, you had me on Bluetooth and you were skiing down a hill, uh, and then uh, you claim that you didn't uh, hit, run into a tree, but we lost connection somehow, and now you're yeah. in a van by a lake. Uh, do you need help? Like, Are you okay? No. I'm good. Just trying to get away from my kids, so I can't even – I'm in my car, <laughs> but uh, I chose not to be in the driveway because you never know, right? So I drove down to the river. Okay. I'm trying to get away from my kids. I love that. We could just clip that. That would be great. Um, okay. So look, I'll bring you up to speed. I'm not sure. Uh, look, you're all, you're plugged in on Twitter, so you know what's going on, but I'll just run it by anybody who may have missed it. Uh, the morning skate is over. Canadians play the Senators on TSN 690 tonight from the Bell Center. Tyler Toffoli, it looks like he's back. He's playing on the right side of Kotkaniemi and Drouet. And then Suzuki and Anderson are getting Perry on their left. Uh, Drouin hasn't scored in 15 games, so and, and Anderson's been a little more quiet offensively, so I'm not surprised that they shook up that line, and Perry's been playing well, so I like it. How do you feel about those two changes? Uh, at the beginning of the season, I thought that they would maybe put um, Toffoli with uh, Suzuki. That's the kind of – I really like that pair, but, um, yeah, I mean, Perry, he's kind of fresh, right? He's only playing, what, 12 minutes a game kind of thing. Uh, this is exactly what good depth gets you, right? A really solid offensive player like Perry can just jump up there. I think I like it. It's going to be good. Yeah, I, look, I don't, I don't think he can play, um, you know, the heavier minutes. And look, I don't know. You're right. He's averaging twelve thirty four a game. So if they bump that up, I don't know that he's going to be able to handle it, especially in a condensed schedule. But I think for a short term boost, like I'm, I'm good with it. I'm looking at Perry's minutes here per game. And I don't know that he's played over. So he played 15 minutes and 19 seconds in his first game of the season, played 16-20 in his third game of the season. And then after that, uh, Jason, it's pretty much like, you know, 11-38, 12-30. Uh, he had a yeah. four, he's coming off back-to-back 14-minute performance. So I think they can increase the minutes a little bit. Like you can get him up to 16-17 short term. I just I don't know that it's going to work long-term right and i don't think this is a long-term solution but i like it too yeah and i don't think he's going to get super he hasn't got super tough minutes and he really 
he really won't here. He's not doing penalty kill, obviously. Gets uh, easier minutes on the power play. The only thing that maybe you want to look for is that Suzuki's line gets, um, you know, they get a, bitter, uh, a bit higher uh, quality of competition. So it'll right. be interesting to see how he deals with that because all season he's been getting low quality competition comparatively. Right. Right. Okay. Um, so look, I'll, I'll, th- those are the changes. There's a couple of other things I wanted to talk to you about. And now that we have a bigger sample size, I know, I think we touched on this early on when uh, the Canadians made the switch to Dom Ducharme, but now that we have a bigger Ducharme sample size, I want to know what are some of the things that jump out uh, in terms of differences between the Claude Julien coach team and the Dom Ducharme team? Statistically, uh, I mean, this is something I've had my finger on. I was really interested because I was, a, as a you know, as a statistics kind of guy, I was a bit shocked—not shocked, but Julian left the team uh, in a very good hands, five on five. I mean, if you remember, they were scoring three goals for sixty five on five, which was number one in the in the league. Of right. course, his last ten games that was you know a little bit deflated, and their defense five on five was solid. It was like second in the league with no deflation in his last ten games for Julian. So Dominic Ducharme, like last time we talked, his first you know five ten games are a little bit rocky. Some of those stats were down, but what's impressive is the defense is even stronger five on five. They're only allowing one point six goals per sixty, which is second in the league, and that's kind of even going up. They got almost two shut. They got a shutout two games ago and, and one goal against last game. Mm-hmm. But the offense is a bit down. It's thirteenth in the league five on five at two point four goals per sixty. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they're. I think the style of play is. I think they're getting used to it, and I think that's going. You can see that come up a bit. Where the big difference is, is is the power play. It's it's absolutely. And do you give the credit to Deshaun or do you give it to Burroughs? It's it's quite incredible. Last time we talked, I talked a bit about there was a bit of hot air there. Like they had a good goals per sixty on the power play, but the shooting percentage was super high, and the high danger chances were very low. Now that's kind of washing out a bit, a, a lot better. So, you know, their goals per 60 on the power play is around nine, which is seventh in the league. And that's, that's really good, obviously. Because right. when a, Julian yeah, left, he, it was rock bottom. So that's the big, big difference, the power play. Okay. And, and so, look, on the penalty kill, uh, have they given up a power play goal since they've been back? I'm trying to think. I don't think so. Oh, yeah, they did at the end, right? At the end of the Ottawa game when yeah. uh, Lekkonen took the penalty in the offensive zone. But I feel like, I don't know if they're drawing more penalties, but I feel like they've cut down the amount of penalties they were taking earlier on in the season because it was just it was a parade to the penalty box early on. Yeah, and I mean, you can give all their improvement on the PK, uh, air quotes, to that. Exactly, right? They're just taking a lot less penalties. With Julian, they, they had 3.2 minors a game. Okay. And with uh, Ducharme, which was like bottom of the league almost, with Ducharme, that's two minutes a game. So they're, wow. They're like having okay, to that's kill. a pretty significant drop. That well, that's like 1.2. Pe- that's more than a penalty a game. That's right. Exactly. So uh, that's a power play less that they have to have to kill. And that's good because their penalty kill is still not good. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they've, they've made it better by not taking penalties. And it's kind of funny how, you know, you know, I'm an analytics guy and I like to get a little bit deeper into the, the nitty gritty stuff. But it's funny that, you know, when you see on TSN and stuff, they say, you know what they need to do? They need to take less penalties. And it's very true. That's exactly what they've done. <laughs> right. 
It's Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Joey Alfieri in conversation with our analytics guru, Jason Paul from Wave Intel. Um, so, okay, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the transformation uh, of Thomas Tatar under Julien, from Julien to Ducharme now. Uh, I think RDS had the graphic. I was watching the game on Thursday, and they said that he's the leading scorer on the team since Dom Ducharme took over uh, in that period of time, which surprised me. I mean, I know he'd been more productive than he was uh, under Julian this season, but still, I think Thomas Tatar has been, and and regrouping those three players with uh, Deneau and and uh, and Gallagher, it just it makes a lot of sense. And again, it just seems like they dominate the puck every time they're out there. And I do think, I know that Deneau and, and Gallagher get a lot of the praise, but I do think Tatar is playing better as well. Yeah, I think he's got uh, 15 points, or sorry, 14 points in the 15 games with uh, Ducharme. So yeah, he's he's come up, and it's not all in the power play. Most of it's five on five. He's got two goals, seven assists, of five on five. He got one power play goal and four assists on the uh, on the power play. So you know, I mean, there's no magic here, right? It's I don't really really see much other than they just got their act together. That line they did that line did play together. For for a certain percentage with uh, Julian, they just weren't getting it together. It was yeah. almost as if yeah. uh, Deneau was a little bit lost, maybe with the change of you know his responsibilities a bit, and now he's just kicked it up. I mean, they just look so different. I would not. I I personally would not uh, chalk it up to Ducharme's change in uh, in a system. I just think because this is the way they played before. So, you know, the very close passes, the the swarming. Uh, so I wouldn't really chalk that up to Ducharme. <laughs> yeah, you you look at the first goal on uh, on Thursday night against Ottawa, and it's like everybody touched the puck. It was the, like the yeah. Deneau goal. It was just it was perfect. It was, it was quick. A lot of quick passes, like you mentioned. But uh, I think it was Romanov who started to play the breakout out of his own end, and then it's like a tip pass from uh, was it Tatar to Gallagher, and then Gallagher carried the puck in, and they get it to Deneau. I don't know. It was just it, it's they've been impressive to watch. And now the only thing is like yes, uh, on Tuesday night you got the goal from you know the production from the Kotkaniemi line, but now it's just if you can even get. You know, if that line keeps going, and then the if you can get the Suzuki line going, and the changes, you know, with Perry there now instead of Droy, and if Anderson gets like if the two lines, the top two lines get going at the same time, I think you're going to get a lot of what you saw early on in the season. Maybe they're not going to dominate to that extent, but it's just about getting two offensive lines going at the same time now, and that's something I feel they haven't had in a while. Yeah, I mean that's the magic of hockey, right? I mean. Even the best players go through slumps. I mean, Matthews had a had a terrible ten game stretch there as well. This is this is what depth is going to get them. Is like one line is down, the other line's going. Yeah. And to win a Stanley Cup, you just kind of need that all to come together at the at the same time, which I think they have the the Habs have the making of that kind of roster, especially after adding Stahl. Yeah. Okay. So he's Jason Paul, Wave Intel, our analytics guy, uh, joining us on Saturday Sports on TSN 690. He's in a bus near a lake or so. I don't know where he is, but he's breaking down the analytics scene for us. Uh, so with Stahl, the team's not going to practice tomorrow, but he's going to hit the ice because his quarantine is over tonight. Um where would you like to see him start? I mean, obviously, we, we talked about the changes to the lineup, and surely you can take out a Lekkonen, or you can take out a Byron, or you can take out an Evans, even though Evans is probably coming off his best game of the season. But where do you think he starts? And just based on you know his body of work this season and maybe partially last year, uh, how do you think he meshes in with this group? Because I remember a couple weeks ago, uh, before the trade was made, I asked you, 
you know, Matias Ekholm, would you do it? And you told me, yeah, you know what? I maybe wouldn't pay the price for Ekholm, but I think Eric Stahl could make a bigger impact on this team. And clearly you were right. Mark Bergevin is listening to the hits and took your advice. So why why did you feel so strongly about Stahl and where do you think he fits in? Well, I mean, the, your question of the day about uh, Ovechkin and, and Crosby, I think, really hits the mark in the sense that a center is such an important piece of a team. I, I think sometimes fans lose sight of that. They see goals and assists, but the center controls so much of the game. It's such an important part of the game. It's clear that Ducharme feels that way as well, and he feels, you know, he look, seems like he's a, a bit of a face-off uh, freak in the sense that he wants the right draws at the right time and the right people out there. So Stahl just gives him that nice big tool in the toolbox. I mean, analytics people are pointing to his his uh, face-off, Stahl's face-off performance, which is not very good. It's not fantastic. It's, it's okay. It's not as good as, nearly as good as Deneau. Uh, but he takes a lot of face-offs, and he's a big man, right? Face-offs yeah. are a bit funny in the sense that you can lose them, but if you have a six foot four, 210-pound Eric Stahl playing defense at the center position after losing the draw that is a pretty good position. That's a better position to be in than having <laughs> the alternative. I think they're going to use him with uh, Evans. I think you might see two centers, right, on that line right. uh, and taking the draws as need be. But I definitely think they're going to showcase Stahl at the center position, playing center, not just not just doing the draw thing. I mean, he's coming off of a good season in um, Minnesota. Uh, I'm looking at his analytics, and his expected goals against was fantastic. Expected goals for was very, very good. He just was not getting the saves when he was on the ice and he was not right. getting the necessarily the support this year, obviously in Buffalo. So this could be a, <laughs> yeah. a massive deal for, for the Habs. All right. So I'll leave you with this then, since you mentioned the, the question of the day on Twitter, Crosby or Ovechkin, which one would you go with? Well, I'm a huge Ovechkin fan, but I have to. I would, if the question is who, like, which player do you take to start your franchise with, it's definitely Crosby. Well, I your favorite just, team, you you get them right, but you get them for yeah. their whole career. So you get the Crosby injuries, yeah. the Ovechkin goals, you get everything. Yeah, I would take Crosby. Center is just too important of a position. I got you. I, we're, we think the game the same way. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever I pre- played a pickup? Do you play? Do you play a pickup hockey? Of course. I mean, e- even playing pickup hockey, you know, uh, playing the, you could play if you play wing, you might do a shift and never touch the puck. And yeah, this is true 100%. in the NHL too. Yeah. If you're playing center, you're in the game. If you're playing defense, you're completely in the game, right? So, yeah. if you play pickup, the tip for me is if you if once you graduate from playing hockey and you're getting older, play defense because you will be touching the puck all the time. Yeah, I don't like playing defense at all. So forward or D, I, I just I, I like to score, and uh, so I just throw defense out the window when I'm out there. So uh, you can call me the the modern day Alex Galchenyuk. That's fine. Thanks for doing this, Jay. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, Joey. Have a good weekend, man. We'll talk soon. That's uh, Jason Paul. He's our analytics guru from Wave Intel, uh, breaking down the Montreal Canadiens and uh, where Eric Stahl fits. So we'll see. Uh, that's right. Canadians provided the update. Stahl's going to practice tomorrow or practice. I mean, he's going to hit the ice tomorrow. Uh, the team is going to have the day off, and he would technically be available uh, for Monday's game against the Edmonton Oilers. We've got Jimmy G with me until noon. Matthew O'Hanes coming in at 12.05. Uh, Jimmy, are you, uh, are you still there? I'm always here. All right, yeah, that's the that's the part that kind of disappoints me. But mm. uh, you you haven't been on the show for a couple weeks, and I keep saying this, but uh, last time you were on, I threw three questions your way. I think 
you got two of my trivia questions I right. I got the Reggie Jackson wrong. So the you got two, two out got of three. Right. And then I heard about it on the text message board and on Twitter. I think somebody even tagged you in a tweet saying that uh, the questions were softball. They were. So I've got, I've got you for a couple more minutes. I've cranked up the degree of difficulty. We will try to stump the G next on TSN 690. Welcome back to Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Joey Alfieri with you till 1 o'clock. I've got Jimmy G with me for a couple more minutes, so I figured that we take the opportunity to stump the G. I just want to get uh, some results in on our poll question. Before we do that, you can find it on Twitter at Joey Alfieri. Uh, Brandon Dubinsky, former NHLer, made some comments. Uh, he said, quote, everybody wants to talk Sid and Ovi or whatever. I'll take Ovi every day of the week, close quote. Uh, do you agree with Dubinsky? If you can have one of the two players on your favorite team for their entire career, who would it be, Alex Ovechkin or Sidney Crosby? Sidney Crosby leading the way at 76.9% right now so uh, he's holding steady Crosby uh, well above uh, Alex Ovechkin right now we still have a couple uh, yeah we got a couple hours left on this poll even after we're off the air uh, so uh, you still have some time to uh, get your thoughts in uh, but you can tweet me at Joey Alfieri if you want to expand on your response you can also text me at 11690 uh, so here we go uh, more people more people coming in. Uh, we've got that 11690 Ovechkin from the jump. Uh, Mike Bossy was the best pure goal scorer ever. That's from somebody else. Uh, so, so clearly uh, not agreeing with Ovechkin being one of the best pure goal scorers of all time. We're the best. Uh, no brainer. Ovi all the way, says somebody from Montreal. And uh, Jimmy, it's funny because we have a whole bunch of questions coming in for you uh, at 11690. But uh, I have three that I'm going to roll with for today. Let's try. Uh, so somebody, so there's there's a couple, but somebody asked uh, which three Habs players have worn number 99. I don't think you're getting that. I'm not going to get that. Yeah, and he doesn't have the uh, he doesn't he didn't provide the answers. So congratulations. Uh, yes, you have stumped Jimmy G, whoever you are. You stumped me too because I don't know the answer. Another text message coming in. Mr. Alfieri, I hope the standards are in place for Jimmy G. 17 tips does not stand. That's from Brad in Beaconsfield. Thinks I give you too many hints, Jimmy. That might happen sometimes <laughs> on a really tough question. But I usually get them right anyways, and I'm okay, really, yeah, really, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, waiting yeah, for right. this. Three people questions. People want to see you fail. You're too successful, so people want to see you fail. Okay, uh, so I've got two NFL questions and an NHL question. I think I'm going to start with the easiest question, and we'll increase the degree of difficulty as we go, okay? Let's do this. Who is the only player to score three touchdowns in a Super Bowl more than once? More than once. More than once. There's a few people that have done three touchdowns in a Super Bowl. I think there's it's happened six times, but only one person has done it more than once. Not touching, not passing touchdowns. You're talking about no, touchdowns touchdown, from receiver touchdowns. or uh, running, running back. back. Yes. Uh, not Jerry Rice. Yeah, Jerry Rice did it, I believe. Once. Is your answer Jerry Rice or yes. not Jerry Rice? I'm saying Jerry Rice is one of the answers. Is Jerry Rice your answer? Yes or no? You said there's two players. You said no. There is one player, oh, one player. I'm going who has with done Jerry it Rice. three times, who's had touchdowns three times in a Super Bowl, but more than once. You're messing me up on the question. Okay, though. that's why I'm, I'm even messed up. I'm saying it's so, Jerry Rice. Who is the only player to score three touchdowns in a Super Bowl more than once? I'm saying it's Jerry Rice. That is correct. Super Bowl twenty four and twenty nine. Jerry Rice did it. So you're one for one. Do you want the NHL question now or the NFL question? Let's go to the hockey, then football. So make it football, hockey, football. Okay. Ten players in NHL history 
have reached a 50-goal mark in at least four consecutive seasons. Nine of them are in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Phil Esposito, Marcel Dion, Guy Lafleur, Wayne Gretzky, Mike Bossy, Michel Goulet, Yari Curry, Steve Eiserman, and Brett Hall. Who is the 10th who is not in the Hall of Fame? Well, Alexander Ovechkin doesn't qualify for the Hall of Fame until after he retires, so it's going to be Alex. It's, it's, not, it's not Ovechkin. It's not Ovechkin? He's not eligible, He's not eligible for the Hall of okay, Fame. Okay, players who are eligible and yes. one of them is not in. Yes. Four consecutive fifties, and they're not in the Hall of Fame. Not in the Hall of I Fame. Ten people have done. Ten people have. Ten people have done it, and nine are in the Hall of Fame. Who's the guy who's not in the Hall of Fame? If you give me any kind of hint, I'll get this. Fifty. Oh, it's almost impossible. Brad, to believe. But Jimmy Brad and Beaconsfield told me that he doesn't want me to give you yeah, hints anymore. No, you're, he's right because if he gives any kind of hint, okay, it'll a give Philadelphia, it away. a Philadelphia Flyer, uh, Rick McLeach, Reggie Leach. Nope. Renberg, I mean, it's got to be a flyer. It's not Bobby Clark. He's yeah, in the well, it has game. to be a flyer. Because, That's what I mean, uh, he, obviously. He's, I said it was a flyer. Uh, you were alive for this, Jimmy. You were born. You were just hitting Bill your Barber? teenage years. No, nope, you're wrong. I'm not giving you credit teenage for Teenage years, okay. I'm going to get this wrong because we could Timmy, be here all day. Timmy Kerr. Tim Kerr, I can't believe in 83, From 83 to 87, he had 54, 54, 58, 58. He's not in the Hall of he's Fame. He's in the front of the net just tipping them in. Banging the power man play, on the beat. Power exactly. play guy, big time. Okay, this is it. Do or die, whether or not we stump the G. Here we go. Who is the only player in NFL history to win three consecutive Super Bowls? It's gonna. I think it's Charles Haley with uh, San Francisco and Dallas. It's got to be, oh, Ken Norton, I believe. Uh, 92, 93, 94 with Dallas and San Francisco. Jimmy G, I'm surprised. I remember that. I am, I, I am impressed. I was getting my hint for you was the son of a boxing champion. Yes, that well, no, I wasn't going to give you that hint, but my hint would have been he's on a coaching staff right now, and uh, he's the defensive coordinator out in Seattle, I think. No, I remember uh, him. He was a big money but, acquisition for San Francisco. And I know of course, it worked that very well because he won the Super Bowl in '94 after winning Jimmy, it two years in a row with that. Dallas. Listen, the Jerry that. Rice question. I thought the Jerry Rice question was easy. But I'm a little bit surprised that you got the Ken Norton Jr. question. Yes, the Jerry Rice was somewhat easy because I remember against Denver, he had a whole bunch of touchdowns in that blowout. And then against San Diego a couple of years later with Steve Young as quarterback, he had a whole bunch of touchdowns. I wasn't sure if he got three and three, but he was the only one that I can think of that could have done it. That's why I went. I went with volume way to, there. Way to go, Jimmy. I just want to mention uh, Sean Campbell has texted me and said that uh, he had Tim Kerr. He had the correct answer. Yeah, I so should have gotten uh, Tim Kerr. I remember him scoring 50 every year. It. Yeah. I think, well, it's 50, Jimmy. I think it's 50 goals had maybe a total of 50 feet from the goalie. For those, <laughs> I'm not, that's not a joke. He was just a guy. He put the guy in front of the net. He just Look bangs him that. home. He's just an encyclopedia of knowledge, and he has jokes too. Jimmy, congratulations on uh, not being much, stumped Joey. again. Well done. And uh, we look forward to uh, having you on the show again. Thank you for uh, the fine job that you've done. Thank you, Joey. Will the CFL play this year? What do the owners have in store for the future of this league? Hall of Fame reporter Herb Zerkowski will tell us next. This is Saturday Sports on TSN 690.